The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. All right, I'm Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo and Grable and Associates. And we are so behind on content. It's crazy. Crazy, right? Where's my football? So guys, I hope the holiday season's going well for you. Um, I know Josh Strickland needs more content for the jail visit, and I am obsessed with the gym right now, so I've been working and working out, and that's been it. You know, it's just been a crazy and exhausting time. Glad to read to my kid at night. Yo, Scott Harper, what up? So, today, we got a few topics. Facebook friend request. Hey, cousin friend, how are you? We're going to talk about TikTok and issues we have with that. And let's start politics. Alright. So, I mean, have you guys seen what's going on in Maine right now? My God. Look. I don't care if you don't like Donald Trump. If you don't like Donald Trump, then go out and vote against him. But when a state steps up and they say you can't be a candidate, we are completely, literally shitting on the concept of preemption. I am so disgusted with things right now. And here's my problem in general. I mean, look, this political half-circle thing, right? left-wingers, right-wingers, I don't care. I can't stand anybody right now. But we cannot start selectively saying who can and cannot run. Somebody wants to run, and they get the votes. That's what democracy is all about, guys. People know about the Wool and Berkman case I'm on, and people know about the Attorney General, and I do think the Attorney General makes a lot of political prosecutions, which is one of my problems with the AG. But I'll tell you, when I see states telling candidates they can't run, we got a problem. And I don't care if you're the biggest Democrat in the world and you think this is good because you don't like Trump. This is bad. Because someday the tide's going to turn. When we start telling people they can and cannot run for office based upon personal preferences, we are literally pissing on the United States Constitution. And that Constitution is something I dedicated my life to, so I'm bothered by that. Not as a Trump fan, because me and Trump have our issues. That's been documented. I'm bothered as an American citizen. You got to see the bullshit here. Just, it's frustrating, right? I, I don't know. It's what it is. All right. Let's talk about the holiday season and Facebook friend requests and how that just gets weird. Something about the holidays just brings weirdness out of people. Maybe it's the excessive drinking. Maybe it's the liquid courage. But one of the things I've seen lately is a lot of weird friend requests coming my way. Now, sometimes these friend requests are Michigan State police officers undercover. Get a lot of that. Sometimes it's people from the Attorney General's office or different prosecuting offices trying to get inside information. I don't get why they do this because, okay, I know people got a problem with me and that's fine, but 
My Facebook profile is public. You don't need to pretend to be a Facebook friend to dig up stuff on Facebook. If that's where your investigations lead, so be it. But I had three females from the past reach out to me this holiday season. And usually when this happens, um, I disregard. I laugh about it. This year, not so much. And I'll tell you why. You think you're cool. But you are not as cool as somebody who set you up to be murdered as sending you a Facebook request. Here's what I mean. I'm going to kick it back to when I'm 22 years old. And I dated this girl. She was weird. Pretty. Strange. It didn't last long. But one of the things that broke us up was the union election that year. What happened was one of my political enemies paid her money. And she calls me and asked me to meet her at a Denny's after work. This was not abnormal back then. Denny's was one of the hangouts we would go after work. So she calls me, okay, yeah, I'll meet you there. I'll buy you dinner or breakfast, whatever it was deemed at that time. It was late. And something was gnawing in me, you know? Like, you gotta watch your back. And I get up to the Denny's parking lot, and I've talked about this in greater detail before, but it's gonna be revisited right now because of the friend request. And somebody warned me to watch your back because they're going to hurt you tonight. So watch out for the white Broncos. Kind of a play on OJ Simpson, I guess. I roll into the Denny's parking lot. I don't see her vehicle there. I don't see her in the window, but I see these four white Broncos strategically, like in a square. And I got the hell out of there. And, um, remember, I'm, like, furious. And I call her up, but she's not picking up the phone. I'm like, okay. But I'm furious because I'm feeling like I'm kind of set up right now. And I suspect it's because of her. So finally, she calls me back. And I'm playing dumb. I'm like, hey, where are you at? To come home. Can you come by? I'm like, yeah, sure. So I circle around the block. I make sure nobody's there. I get to her apartment. And I lay it out there. I said, hey, did you try to have me set up? And she was crying. Well, they gave me $500, and they told me they wouldn't hurt you. Okay, let me get this straight. Somebody calls a 22-year-old. At that time, I was running for union president. Let's back that up so we understand each other. And union politics is cray-cray. I'm a 22-year-old kid running for union president in Atlantic City, and these lunatics give my girlfriend at the time $500 to set me up to maybe kill me or hurt me at a Denny's. And she breaks it down for me that she just wanted the money. She didn't think they'd hurt me. I was like, what do you think they're going to do to me? And that was um, that was weird. Obviously, the relationship died that night. So I'm on Facebook. I got a bunch of weird friend requests. And I see her request. And I'm like, oh my god. And I laugh and I scroll away. Now, when somebody's not your friend on Facebook, what happens is, if they send you a message, you have to approve the message. So she sends me a couple of messages. 
and I gotta see this. Now I'm thinking it could be a virus. Don't do it on your laptop, but answer it on your phone. I look at the message on my phone and you know, her exact words were B, three exclamation points. Do you remember me? Three exclamation points. We used to hang out when we were kids. I saw your Facebook and Googled you, exclamation point. You've done so well, exclamation points. We should catch up, wink emoji. Now, I kind of, I ignore this, and I'm like, looking, like, I know it was a long time ago. But you did play a role in potentially getting me killed for $500 or whatever it was, or 50 It was a small amount of cash. And I'm studying these DMs from her, because she slid into my DMs, as you would say. And then she follows up with another message. And then a third message, and a fourth message. You know, and then she's like, you're ignoring me. Do you remember me, yes or no? And finally I respond, like, yeah! I don't I didn't forget you. You potentially got me killed. So yes, you left a lasting memory in my mind. Why in your right mind would you DM me? Why would you send a friend request? What possible connection could we have in 2023 that I would want to converse with you? Just, well, I guess you hold grudges. Okay, look, this is... This is not a, a college girlfriend that cheated on you or somebody that borrowed 200 bucks and pay you back. This crazy nut tried to have me killed, whether she meant to do it intentionally or not. She had her boyfriend go to a Denny's in the wee hours of the morning under the premise of meeting for dinner, taking money from political enemies, and four of these nuts were in Broncos. Wait, and hurt me? Yeah! We're not cool! Now, understand, I'm not trying to destroy your life. I don't care, and I mean, from your Facebook page, it looks like you've done enough destruction on your own. I was wrong, okay. It doesn't look like things are going great for you. And I wish you no ill will. But please, go away. My God. Yeah, I got a few other friend requests from people and I, you know, usually I will just ignore friend requests from people I feel are relevant. So to those people that have sent friend requests, I haven't deleted them. If I don't answer you, I feel you're not worth my energy to even delete you. This person warranted a response. Yikes. Let's talk about TikTok. People have been hitting me up. What's my problem with TikTok? I don't necessarily have a problem with TikTok. It seems like it's a nice way to unwind, I suppose. I want to give some TikTok advice today. Let me be clear. When you join TikTok, let's say you put a name on there. Like, I am Side of Rice. That's one of the weird requests I got. You think you're incognito, right? Understood. I mean, you're not Tom Smith, you're Side of Rice. 
first of all, I'm concerned if you have to lie on a social media app. That's the first layer of concern. Here's the thing I want people to watch out for on TikTok. When you join TikTok, if you put your contact information in and somebody joins TikTok, one of the things TikTok will do is they will ask, do you want to connect with your contacts? If you don't reply, which I did not, TikTok gets annoyed. And it just starts making suggestions. And I started getting suggestions on people. Now, what blew me away is some of the people that I hadn't thought about in years that were suggestions now. Some of them are somewhat successful prosecutors. Now, here's your free career advice from Bill. If you are somewhat in the public eye and you want to go incognito, what you want to do when you sign up for TikTok is not put in your cell number. Because things like Side of Rice, if their cell number belongs to Bob Smith, let's just say, I will now know that Bob Smith is Side of Rice. And if I go click on Side of Rice's TikToks, and I see how crazy and dysfunctional Side of Rice is, I'm going to realize it's Bob Smith! And I went, <laughs> I went into like the the deep end here, because there were so many people I knew who had fake names on TikTok, but they were people I knew and somewhat respected, and I knew that these weird aliases were them because when they signed up for TikTok, they put their cell number in. So TikTok. Is adding you guys. Do you understand that? I wasn't looking for side of rice. But I found out side of rice was prosecutor so-and-so. Because prosecutor so-and-so put their number in TikTok. And then went to the incognito stage. But it's too late side of rice. Because I got your cell number. And you've been a suggestion by TikTok. So I know this crazy stuff. Which is borderline illegal. I'm not saying he's really side of rice. I'm just telling you this example. Dude, if you want to get crazy and post weird shit on social media, you gotta be better at covering your tracks. I mean, this is like somebody committing a crime, leaving DNA, walking to the police. Waving the right to counsel and making a full-blown confession. I mean, that's literally what you've done with some of your TikToks. I know some things about people now that I never wanted to know. And it really wasn't a deep dive. It was TikTok reaching out to me saying, Hey, do you know 609 blah blah blah? Because this is their TikTok. Do you want to see it? Okay. Oh my god! <laughs> if you want to be strained on social media, you gotta do a little better than that. If you want to be an arrogant prick and just come over the top, I mean, why don't you just do your own podcast and use your real name? It seemed to work for me. 
Anyway. That's all I got today. I, I will come back tomorrow with some other stuff. This TikTok thing. Come on, guys. Watch your back. It, it's becoming embarrassing. And if I could figure this out with no effort, imagine what one of your stalkers or crazy exes could do. Put in a burner phone or something if you want to enter TikTok and be weird. But don't put in your real cell number and then try to cover yourself because TikTok's reaching out to people saying, hey, this is Tom Smith's TikTok. Enjoy. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Been crazy with work. Been crazy with trials. I am. Um, I'm stunned. I actually found out in one case that opposition admitted to destroying evidence. We won't talk about specifics here, but um, there's a war coming. And in the midst of all that, two male figures from my life have passed away. And I have not discussed these people publicly. Today is going to be the first revelation of these issues. And I got a text from someone who apparently... I guess they follow my life, if you would. And they text me... Someone from the past. And they text me and tell me how sorry they are for my losses. How they hope I'm holding up okay. You know, it's weird. This person, when my mom died, didn't say anything. And I could tell this individual, well, I understand you have this desire to connect because, well, how I have money now and I'm successful, right? I'm not that poor law student who you weren't sure was going to make it big. You're like 16 years too late, and then you pick these individuals to console me with. Alrighty then. Let's go back to Willow Avenue for a minute. And we'll start with my Uncle Matt. Matty Duke. Matt Neary. He passed away. My cousins call me James Rodea Sr. and Jr., what I could say about Jamesy and his son is they are two of the best people I've ever had the pleasure of having connection with. And in some ways, I feel like they're the last of my family. Uncle Matt died, and you weren't surprised about that. And it's weird how an Uncle Matt's story is going to be causation into the second person that passed away. But I was told Uncle Matt passed away. And my uncle and I had a very interesting relationship. Love you too, cuz. My uncle led a very different life. And he's kind of the last of Willow Avenue. You know, on Willow Avenue, there was 
Ant-Man, who was our leader. There was Mom, who was like my big sister. She'll play a role in this later. A bigger role in part two. <sighs> Grandpop. And it was the four of us living in that house. That little shithole on Willow Avenue in the hood next to fucking Pitney Village. And it was hell. And Uncle Matt would show up sometimes. We never had a normal relationship because my Uncle Matt was somebody who was a transient. He was on the run. He was a brilliant man. And in his heart of hearts, he was a good man. But he wasn't there the way you would hope an uncle would be there. He just didn't have that in him. But there was love there. You know? One of the reasons I feel I've excelled as a criminal lawyer is because my uncle Matt taught me so many things. You see, guys... From where I come from, which is the hood, I was somewhat sheltered from the hood. I was, as they put the golden boy in the ghetto, I was the one they saw could make it out, somewhat protect it. But then when hell broke loose, and it did, that golden boy persona kind of broke and you had to be tough, or at least pretend to be tough. And I guess people always commend me for my balls. So when I see a shady police officer or an attorney general threatening me, it's kind of funny because it's not like MS-13 or the Pitney Lions threatening me. You're a joke because I've seen hell and I know what it's like. And if there's one thing I could give my uncle credit for is he taught me how to survive hell a little bit. The one great punch I have is this amazing right hook. And I was not a good boxer, and those that followed me know that. But Uncle Matt taught me how to throw a right hook like nobody else. And my right hook saved my ass so many times. It was a dysfunctional relationship with him and Aunt Mare. Aunt Mare was always trying to keep the family together. Uncle Matt was running based on his lifestyle. I don't ever heard my uncle tell me he loved me. And I used to tell him that. And it just was something he couldn't say. I didn't understand him. I thought he was a great writer. I think underneath that... That badassery, if you would. Because he was true in Atlantic City badass. You could do the math there. During a crazy time, he was a crazy person. And there were things he did in his life that he did not want me exposed to. And I appreciate that. As I chose my profession in life, as I found my way, there were things he taught me about cases that just made sense. Because I feel criminal law is like a street fight. And the thing is, some of your opponents in criminal have never been in a street fight. They think it's in a textbook. Matt Neary taught me to look beyond the textbook. Matt Neary taught me some lessons I didn't need to know. But he taught me some lessons that were about survival. And I have no issue paying for his funeral. 
I have no issue juggling my schedule to be there. I have no issue flying his son, Jimmy, in for the funeral. And I know some of you guys that follow me know you've heard me talk about Jimmy before. And out of respect for all involved, I'm going to end on that portion of this and just say, wherever you are, Unc, I do love you. I appreciate you on some levels. But I never understood you. And to my cousins, James and Jamesy, thank you so much for taking the lead on this. Because if it wasn't for you guys, I'm sure he'd be in a box somewhere and wouldn't even know he was gone. So you guys, he loved you, he adored you. I don't know if he ever told you that, but he did. And I think you guys were who he was close with in this world. You know, the term father... Such a powerful term. Where I come from, most people don't have the father in the picture. And people, this hurts them a great deal. In some ways, Uncle Matt was a father figure. But when I think of the term father and the word dad... I think of some role models in my life. People I have tremendous respect for. People I've looked up to on some levels. And I think of Sam Ioli, who was my Uncle Sam. Referred to as my cousin. He was really my cousin, but he was like a father figure and such a tremendous human being. I think of my cousin Jamesy, who the ultimate family guy kept everything going I think of Jerry Dowdy who I miss a lot was a bartender at Chop and he told me to just go for it and risk everything to go to law school then I think of people I met in Michigan I look at Scott Corner who is this prosecutor in Shiawassee and I watch the relationship he has with Zach his son and it's admirable. Um, I think of Tim Livingston from Livingston County. And when I was a scared rookie lawyer, he taught me things. He didn't have to. He was like a role model. I look at his daughter, who's a great lawyer, and I say Tim played a role in that. Scott Grable's a great father. Like a big brother to me. Mark Green, Andy Longusky. These are people that I just respect on so many levels. And I think Judge Matthew Stewart really takes the cake for me. Because I watched Judge Stewart literally bury his son, who died way too young. And through his grief, he literally created the mental health court in Shiawassee. And that's a man. That's somebody you admire. Not Bill Amadeo Sr., who also passed away this week. When I learned of my father's death, I thought of my Uncle Matt. And my Uncle Matt, one of the things he was most proud of 
is that he put a gun to my father's head so my father would sign the birth certificate. Because as Italian Catholics, that was a big thing. And even towards the last days of Uncle Matt's life, the last communications I had with him, he said to me a couple things. Don't ever forget, I put a gun to your father's head so he would sign that birth certificate. And number two, don't ever give your father money. He played nothing to do with your success. And you know, and it's kind of weird. <laughs> My Uncle Matt, who I do love, that was a bonding moment, I believe, in his mind. That he threatened to kill my father, so my father would sign the birth certificate for the teenager he knocked up. And this week has been odd, because um, Danielle Camp Smith, my sister, who was abandoned by my father. Mike Amadio, my brother. We've connected this week over the passing of my father. And I'm trying to think to myself right now, as I'm in the lead here because I'm the lawyer that the cop reached out to, to break this news about dad's passing. And I've been at the forefront doing stuff and I'm telling my brother and sister, hey, we're a team, we're in this thing. And if we find any money, we'll split it three ways. I don't know what to even think of my father. I never had anger towards my father. I just think some people were not meant to be parents. That's what I feel. Like, some people were not meant to be parents. Just because you have sex without a condom and knock somebody up does not mean you're meant to be a parent. And I always heard my aunt say, your father is actually a good man, he's just confused. As I'm talking to Mike and Danielle, my siblings, and we've talked more the last week than we have our whole lives, I think of Judge Stewart, and I think of Bill Amadio Sr., and I'm thinking to myself, my God, what a great parent to have, Judge Stewart, how lucky his children are and were, and thank God. God, and I mean this in my mother's life, thank God my father was not in the picture. And I, I just gotta be real about shit right now. I mean, going over memories, I'm talking to my siblings. I guess the story starts when Uncle Matt put a gun to Dad's head to sign the birth certificate. Let's start with that. Let that marinate for a moment. But I think it's important to know how Dad met Mom. At the time, Dad was an Atlantic City cop. And Mom was a very lonely teenager. Very pretty girl but she had no friends and she lived in the ghetto and they forced her to go to Holy Spirit and she hated it there and she used to take the bus home and my father sold this very pretty tiny 16 year old girl and he was a good looking Atlantic City cop who was dealing drugs and running prostitutes from what I'm told wasn't there but it makes sense and he groomed my mom 
Um, yeah. So mom was in love with him. And I... I'm kind of, you know, confused about that. But okay. Mom was in love with that. He knocked her up when she was 17. And as mom would tell me stories about my father and how they met, how they dated, and this and that, um, she would cry and tell me how he owned a bar in Atlantic City and how she would go there to eat cheese sandwiches and wait for him and he would fucking charge her for the food at his bar when he then went to go fuck her, a teenager. And then he knocked her up, of course, and he didn't say it wasn't his, though my mom was a virgin, so it had to be yours, right, Dad? I mean, in Christ, if you look at him and look at me, there's really no fucking doubt who my father is, but he was abusive to Mom. But I really did appreciate when Mom died um, when I was in law school, and he wrote at the Atlantic City Press, I'm sorry for your loss. That was huge, bro. My memories growing up are somewhat sporadic and I'm just gonna share some of them right now um, yeah we'll, we'll bring a few of them in I remember we were broke <laughs> when I was a kid and we were on welfare and grandpa lost his job and I thought we were gonna get evicted and I called dad to borrow two hundred dollars so we wouldn't get kicked out with my animals and um, he didn't give us that two hundred dollars Though he also wasn't paying child support, so I mean, it kind of fit the bill. Uh, he said he would, but he didn't, and somehow I found a way at a very young age to come up with the $200 so we weren't homeless. Appreciate that. Um, I remember wanting to buy this brand new Steve Garvey glove. My mom was a big Steve Garvey fan, and I was becoming a really good baseball player. It's like a $30 glove, which was a big number back then, and I called Dad. And uh, he was too busy for that. Um, <laughs> my confirmation, big thing in the Catholic world, he didn't show up. He's probably getting late somewhere. But the high school years may have been my favorite. You see, growing up white in Ducktown and having to fucking survive that, um, I saw dad one day and he was driving and I was waiting for a jitney and I'm looking around and I'm scared I'm going to get fucked up because that happened frequently back then and he pulled over to the side for a minute I said oh dad glad you're there can I get a ride and he goes well no no I can't give you a ride I'm going somewhere he goes but they're coming after you hide around the boardwalk that's a better way to go good luck and he drove off. I survived that day. Thanks, Dad. When my grandmother died, I was told I was left money. It was Dad's um, grandma. It was Dad's mom. And I found out later that because my dad and I had the same name, and he knew my social security number. He actually forged documents to steal that money. So that was helpful. One of the proudest moments my dad had of me was in college. 
I ran into him, and at that time was dating three different girls. And he took pride in that at the time, and he told me how, son, it's important to keep your lies straight so you don't find out about each other. Talking to Mike and Danielle this week, that kind of, the data fits. There's two other memories that truly come to mind about my father. When I was 17, I was almost arrested. New Jersey State Troopers came to our house at Willow Avenue, and they had a warrant for William Amadio. And the state troopers are looking at me, and are you William Amadio? Yeah? I don't know what to do, and my aunt's freaking out. My boy didn't do anything wrong. And the state trooper goes, we have the address, we have the name, we know it's you, you need to come with us. And the question was, what am I being charged with? And it was failure to pay child support. So they had the wrong William Amadio, and somehow my father gave my address and whatever communication I had with the police. That was good. Um, my aunt actually told the state troopers that it was my father, and here's how this match up, because I couldn't possibly have a child that age. And uh, they, she told them where to go find Dad. And Dad was very pissed off, saying how Mary Lee, why would you tell the police where to find me? Well, I guess she didn't want her nephew and son being arrested for child support. It wasn't his obligation. Remember the chicken money. This is a funny story. A kind gesture, one of the few my father did. My aunt was in line at ShopRite. And she was $17 short because we didn't have much money. And my dad was in line near her. And dad said, don't worry, I'll cover the 17 bucks." And he gave her a 10, a 5, and two ones. <sighs> and my aunt was so thrilled. She's like, wow. Your father made sure we had food. He gave us the $17. I was putting groceries back because we were overdrawn at the grocery store. And I'm like, all right. Well, that was nice of him. Whatever. At this point, I'm a working high school kid. And my father owned a bar, Billingsley's, on Chelsea Avenue. Next, people may know that bar. And I just bought my five hundred dollar nineteen eighty three Camaro, which didn't always run, and it was the first time our family was able to really, you know, go somewhere. So we had a vehicle that worked sometimes, and money is extremely tight. And I couldn't go off to the college I wanted to to help support my family. My aunt says to me, "Billy, your father gave me that seventeen dollars for the chicken and other food." And uh, he's a reason your animals were able to eat peacefully. And I want you to offer him that money back. He'll never accept it. Now, I'm learning a little bit about life at this point, right? I'm a kid. And I said, Aunt Mayor, I don't want to offer that money back to him. She goes, no, 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 you do that. He'll never accept it. And I said to her, if I offer him $20 and he takes it, I might not have gas money and this and that and she goes, honey, our family is one of honor. You offer your father that money back and he's a man. He'll never take that money. 
and I go into the bar and I say, hey dad, um, Aunt Mare said you gave her $17 um, for food at ShopRite and she wanted me to offer you the money. And I pulled out this $20 bill, which was big money to me back then. And he grabbed the 20. He said, good, tell her we're even. the pride he had because he always wanted to be a criminal defense lawyer when my career took off he would facebook me see you're working on this case and blah 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 and he would tell me about police stealing evidence he would give me tips on that because that was something he knew about when from his time as a cop and the bobby reyes case my god he was so proud because at this point, Dad had found God. He was very religious. Very pro-life. And he... The fact that his namesake was fighting U of M and taking on the Bobby Reyes matter. And I was, like, in the newspapers where he was at. And he would see his boy. And he goes, I'm so proud that the Amadio name is doing such big things. And I'm sitting there reading this DM... And at that point, you know, I'm out of my mind on the Bobby Reyes case because I don't know what I'm doing. I'm fighting for this kid and U of M's got their 14 lawyers and the ghetto's coming out of me and whatever. I just want to fight for Sarah and Jose and here's my father. I'm getting like thousands of emails a day and I, Dad's pops up and the pride he had. Thank God I protected the Amadio names, he said. One of the reasons I go by Amadeo is because he goes by Amadio, and that's a story for another time. But the Amadio name was a big thing to my father. And, um, for whatever reason, a couple of years ago, don't know why, it was very weird. It was Father's Day. And for some reason, I'm not sure why in the moment, but I Facebooked my father. Dad, how you doing? Happy Father's Day. And he read the message and didn't reply. Ah, <laughs> oh, Christ. Anyway. I will tell you this. To my enemies out there. To the ones that hate me. To the ones that try to destroy my career, and the ones that get pissed off when I make an issue out of everything when evidence is screwed over. I want you to remember something. I am a child of Willow Avenue. I am the nephew of Matthew Duke Neary. And I am the son of Bill Amadio Sr. And I want you to take that for what it is. Because when you come at me, whether we like it or not, do the math. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. 
I got a bunch of taxes last night. People asked me to discuss this matter. What up, Amber? And I will um, bring it up. So, what's a word we use to describe the Big Ten's decision? How about bullshit? Let's just call it out right now. We're literally going to suspend a coach with no evidence, no proof. And they're doing it during the three biggest games of Michigan's season when Michigan's going for a national title. I agree, Amber, it is absolute bullshit. Why? Why is the Big Ten doing this? Well, let's discuss a few things here. Let's discuss, number one, a theory why they're doing it. Let's discuss the hypocrisy of the Big Ten throughout the years. And let's break it down. Number one, let's just be real. Jim Harbaugh has become bigger than the Big Ten. Am I wrong? I mean, exactly, Mike, where is the due process? He's become bigger than the Big Ten. And let me tell you something. In the SEC, they would have never done this to Nick Satan. Never in a million years. During the heyday of USC, can you imagine Pete Carroll getting three-game suspension for shit like this? Let's think about this, though. The accusation, which, by the way, has no proof against Harbaugh. The accusation is he stole signs. Now, let me explain something. As a former player, and by the way, I sucked. Let's just get that out there. Everybody knows I was the short white guy that had decent amount of speed that run really brilliant routes across the middle and wasn't scared to take a hit. I was about as important as a tackling dummy. However, I was smart enough to run these routes. But I'm going to tell you, even at that bullshit level, stealing signs was part of the game. And if you have your signs stolen, I don't know. I question your IQ. I heard Matt Rule, the Nebraska coach, say that he felt it was an unfair thing because Michigan beat us because he believes they stole the signs. Hey, Matt, you lost 45-7. to Stop. Shut up. Move on. Frustrating, right? Go Wikipedia, the Big Ten. It says in 2024, the Big Ten will have 18 teams. Let's just start with that for a minute. So, the Big Ten used to be based on geography. It was hardcore Midwest guys playing football. Now it's about economics. The Pac-12 is losing the following teams to the Big Ten. University of Washington. USC. Oregon, UCLA. So what the Big Ten did with their expansion is they've done moves that would make a carpet bag or blush in 1930. Somebody's going to get that joke. Somebody, oh, but, okay. Reality is this. They were poaching the best teams for economic reasons. That help? Okay. Now, when they poach these teams, there's no way they followed conventional rules. They have literally been the most hypocrite it's hypocrisy across the board we're going to take teams from other conferences we're going to piss away geography we're going to expand to 18 teams and then by the way if one coach becomes bigger than the goddamn system we're going to try to cut him off at his knees before the biggest games of the season that's where we're at that's bullshit if we look at the history of the big 10 
we can remember, now I'm going old school for you historians out there, Woody Hayes punching a player during a bowl game. Jerry Sandusky and the whole CSC allegations at Penn State. DJ Durkin and the player dying at University of Maryland. The Hazy instance at Michigan State. Things have been brushed under the carpet after due process was found. Here, this poor bastard, and it's weird me saying poor bastard about Jim Harbaugh, because I'm not a Jim Harbaugh fan. Let me be clear on that. I'm not a Michigan fan. I told a friend of mine, when Michigan plays Rutgers, my dream was that both teams could lose somehow. Okay, Rutgers rejected me from law school multiple times. Michigan, I'm still pissed about the Bobby Reyes thing, but that's not the point here today. The point is, I am going to root blue the rest of the year and bet blue because I'm so goddamn pissed off. You guys are galvanizing people to be empathetic to one of the most lucrative institutions in the country because you try to cut them off at his knees without any due process. What's next? Are prosecutors going to start prosecuting people with no evidence? Are we going to disregard polygraphs? Jesus, I mean, I'm terrified what could happen next. Somebody's going to get that, right? Good. Anyway, end by saying this. This is bullshit what happened with Harbaugh. He was, no proof's been provided. No evidence has been displayed. And the Big Ten is trying to get him out of Michigan because they want the spotlight back on them. What this is the equivalent of is a jealous high school kid ratting the teacher with no evidence and the teacher being dumb enough to send the kid to the principal's office without ever knowing what happened. Go blue. The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.